Hi and welcome to Personal Finance with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. On our first few shows, we've looked at redundancy and how to make the best of that situation with regard to your finances, financial planning for those of us with young or growing families, and last time out, we touched on mortgages in 10 steps to buying your new home. If you missed any of those, I would urge you to go back and take a listen. There's a stack of good advice there. Search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. And please remember to rate and review us and subscribe. And that way, you'll never miss an episode again. It'll drop for you every week, freshly squeezed. Now, today, we're going to deal with everything you need to know about income protection insurance. Now, as you can imagine, given the backdrop of 2020 and a pandemic which has influenced, well, everything. Uh, The interest in things like income protection insurance has escalated somewhat. In fact, a new study just released has revealed people are three times more likely to consider income protection now, given the COVID-19 pandemic. And if you're one of those people, today's show is for you. Phil, uh, let's start with the obvious. What exactly is income protection insurance? Hi, John. Yeah, income protection is something that's there to protect your income if if you're off sick. So it, it sounds quite straightforward really but um, it is good because if, if someone takes it out um, if they were unable to do their job through accident illness or anything that, that sort of thing income protection insurance would then pay out which then supplements what they've got coming in any sickness benefits and, and things so it, it's one of the slightly more simpler ones to, to kind of explain to be honest uh, even allowing, I'm sure things differ um, depending on whether you're employed or, or self-employed. So maybe if we deal firstly um, in a scenario where you're in full-time employment. So this first section, more to do if you're employed by someone else um, to, to work for them and, and not self-employed. Thinking back to when you started working, probably the time in your life when you walked about with that amazing sort of air of invincibility, like you were bulletproof, uh, that takes a few dings, a bit of a battering in the years that follow. So I'm guessing... You're saying with the benefit of hindsight, income protection insurance is something you should really be looking to buy into for the moment you have a job. I know it is. It's something that's really important and it is one that kind of, I think out of all the different sort of protection insurances, it's the one that's probably least taken up by people. You, You tend to find a lot of folk will have life insurance, when people take out a mortgage, they'll often take out colonialist cover. But income protection almost seems to be the poor relation of the, the protection policies that, that's available. And um, it's probably, I mean, some would argue it's the most important. Um, that, that's a thing as well, because if you're off work, how, how are you getting paid? What income have you got coming in? And But uh, it is, it's, income protection is one that it's highly important. And you, and you break it down to someone in a few words and they think, oh, yeah, that's, that sounds like, like common sense. But I would imagine, um, given our current situation in the world, it's gone from a sort of would like to a must have. It is. I think, I mean, like that statistic said, I think people are three times more likely to to consider it and take it out now than, than previously. So that, that's good I guess, and it, it is. It's it's something that when you're younger, you often think, "Oh, I'm infallible," and you, you never think nothing's ever going to happen to you. But I guess as you get older and get more aches and pains, yeah. and and you start, in fact, I guess life's experience, you start coming across more people that have had something, and I, I see it fairly regularly. I mean, there, there was somebody I was speaking to the other day; they had really bad back problems and had been off 
like long term with that and um, you, you come across it more but you, you tend to find one one benefit I mean when you are younger you, you'll tend to find that the, the premiums tend to be cheaper but not only that the, you tend to find that the younger you are when you take it out you're in better health at that time so you're more likely to get accepted for a policy whereas someone who's maybe a bit older and had heaps of health issues that the companies might make exclusions or they might not give them cover at all so it is something that that really you should think about at a younger age but I can see I know myself when I was really young (laughs) to think nothing will ever happen to me I'll be fine yeah exactly it's it's the case of do you want to pay this monthly or would you like one extra night out per month and and that you know uh, let's assume though that I want to buy into this how long does it pay out for how much can you insure depends what type of policy you take out you you can normally insure up to 65% of your your income Um, now the reason it's that figure is that you might think, oh, hang on, can I not insure the whole lot? But if you think by the time you pay tax and things, 65% is quite a a good amount. But but like any insurance, insurers don't want you being in a better position than if you weren't, like if if you were working. So if they covered 100, let's say they paid out 100% of your your wages, you would be thinking, hang on, there's no incentive to return the yeah. So you tend to find that that's about the, the figure that most companies some some will do it maybe up to sixty percent. Um, most will tend to go up to the the sixty five percent of your your income. With, with it, you get different types of income protection insurance. You've got like longer term, and you've also got shorter term, and it's trying to tailor it to to what's best or for the individual, but you get some policies that will pay out for maybe up to two years if someone's off sick and you get others that will pay out right up until the retiring age. So you, you could take out a policy just now, let's say your state retirement age was 68. You you may well think, right, okay, if I'm off, I want to know that I've got some money coming in right up until I get my state pension. So you, you can do it right up until retirement age as well. Okay, and as a monthly cost, again, this is going to differ, I'm sure, but as a monthly cost, averages, how much How much are we going to have to pay for this type of thing? It, it does vary an awful lot because it all depending on, like, your age. Um, it's all dependent on, like, your, your health. Also, the occupation plays a big part because if you're, like, a builder, um, let's say you break your leg, mm you might not be able to work for for some time. Whereas if you're in an office job and you break your leg, you might think, oh, I can still work. Mm. So the, it's all to do with like the risk of, of what the insurance companies will pay. So it can vary greatly. Um, and I, I've seen like some people paying £20 a month for a policy. I've seen folk paying £100 a month. It, it varies an, an awful lot. But um, it's easy enough to get a, a tailored quote to your own circumstances. And that's where a financial advisor would be able to come in. Um, there is the, the comparison websites would, would kind of give you some quotes. But you'll tend to find, I, I would say it's better speaking to an advisor because they can tailor it right to your own needs. And, and not only that, they can guide you in all the different types of policies because the cheapest policies aren't always the best ones to take out. I mean, what, what we do... When, when we're looking at like what company to, to go with, we're looking at things like, um, is there any additional benefits in there? What guarantees do they, they offer? Um, you also get what's called a deferred period. So you, you can, like, let, let's say you've got six months full pay, you can actually tailor a policy to start paying out by the time your employer sought 
paying the, the full pay. So um, we will take all of that sort of things into account. Whereas if you're trying to do it yourself online, you're going to you might not get something that's just for for you there. Just to recap there briefly, in general terms though, the chances are a policy will cost you less if you are younger, healthier, and in a not particularly high risk job. So if you're yeah, a, a sword it. swallower, then you might you might have a couple of issues. Yeah, there's quite a lot of factors really, and um, is, that, that's where we look at all of that and say, right, who's going to be best? You, you tend to find like what we do as well is look at like the payouts that companies have made. So you might find if someone was a manual worker, there may be companies that are maybe slightly better for that. If someone's a school teacher, again, you've got some providers that tailor cover specifically for them. You, you tend to find most school teachers are employed by the council, so they, they quite often have maybe six months full pay, six months half pay. It's really good. One, one thing that I would say that's important before you take out any income protection cover is to look and say, right, what benefits do I get from my employer? And I tend to find most people overestimate them. Um, not all the time, but a lot of folk often think they've got a lot better benefits than what they actually have. Okay, just a reminder, this section is regarding income protection insurance if you are employed by someone else, i.e. not working for yourself, not self-employed. And I mention that here because I wonder if uh, if it may cause a split between the two when I ask, what sickness benefits do I get from the state? Yeah, if, I mean, at, at the moment, the, the sickness, the statutory, statutory sick pay, it's a bit of a, a tongue tire, <laughs> um, it's currently £95.85 per week. Um, that's paid by the employer as statutory sick pay. Uh, and you can get that for 28 weeks if you're off. Whereas someone who's self-employed isn't likely to get anything at all there. So um, that's one of the differences. And if you are employed, you're getting this £95 and pennies for the 28 weeks, I think it was you said. Does, yeah. Can you... Is income protection insurance, does it affect that? If you, if you then, say, are getting some sort of income from your cover, does that negate the money that you're getting as statutory sick pay? No, you get the, the statutory sick pay. So if, if your employer doesn't have any sickness benefits, you get the statutory sick pay and then you've got any policies that you've got. Over and above. Well. Okay. Yeah. Is there anyone you would say income protection would be more important for? I've got to guess for the self-employed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like self-employed, it's important for anyone working. I mean, if you've got a lot of savings, you might think, well, don't need it. But you often find that like for the majority of people, they can't get by for most people tend to live month to month. Yeah. They don't have a particularly big amount of savings to fall back on. And I, I would say that, like for self-employed, it's even more important because they don't have the statutory sick pay to, to fall back on as well. So um, definitely for self-employed people. And I suppose the obvious difference straight away is to do with any time off, because when you're self-employed, any time off, whether it's for holiday or illness, means you simply aren't paid. That's when you realise that a day in the sick means someone will actually have to chop your head, clean off your shoulders, because <laughs> otherwise you're going in. Uh, joking aside, though, yeah. if, you're, if you're self-employed, uh, presumably the need for income protection insurance has never been greater, Phil. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, it is. It's something that's so important. And um, you see, like, statistics. And I mean, at the minute, we're going through kind of unprecedented times as well. So it's making people think about 
things like that a wee bit more and it is it kind of it's such an important thing it's like how how are you going to get by I mean you, you might find if it was a couple and you're both working you might think yeah we could afford for one not to be working for a while so it's all it's all about looking at the individual circumstances really and how many people in the UK are we talking about being self-employed I think it's something like five million isn't it yeah but I think the last kind of estimate yeah. showed that there's million self-employed people in the UK so that's a big portion of people uh, it's got its perks um, being self-employed but as with many things downsides as well which I touched on flesh that out for us a wee bit there is pretty much as you mentioned zero support if you're off right if, you, if you're self-employed no that's it if you yeah. if you've suffered an illness or an injury it's just so little support there that, that's a thing and it is it's they, like the good thing if, if you do take out an income protection policy once it's paying out um, generally most of the time the proceeds of that won't be taxable as well ah, so okay that's something. One thing I forgot to say when we were speaking about uh, statutory sick pay is that that is a taxable benefit. Right. So, so, so if you were getting statutory sick pay, it's just taxed as if it was your your income okay. coming in as well. So, um, but yeah, for self-employed folk, it, it's not so good because they don't have the same benefits coming yeah. in there. So, just to recap, statutory sick pay—it's about hundred quid a week, but you're going to lose twenty of it, pretty much. I mean, it is, you're, you're kind of getting taxed on that. It's it, it's like crazy, is it? Like they give you a benefit and they tax you on it. It's just nuts. But. No, I'm just trying to think. I, I've been self-employed all my life. Um, I, I did have at one point, actually, weirdly, when I was younger, uh, income protection insurance because an advisor just said, you should have this, you know, if you're going to be yeah. self-employed. And the, the, the thing with it is, if I remember rightly, it doesn't pay out straight away, does it? It... it, it pays out or this policy and we paid out after about a month it can you, you can get the, you get policies that will backdate to day one and, right. and usually what you find is you maybe you'll be off for a month and then it'll backdate to the first day that you've you've been off um you, you get policies that will have deferred periods of seven days 30 days three months six months a year even and you tend to find the longer it goes before it starts to pay out the cheaper the premium will be so if you wanted a policy that pays out after you've been sick for say a week that's going to cost an awful lot more than something that pays out let's say if you said right i'll have a deferred period of three months and if you can cover the first three months of being off i guess it depends how long you're off for and um it would be interesting i should have looked up maybe statistics for for that like what the average time someone's off for but if you're off real long term then that's when it, you'll really see the benefits yeah. of, of protection policy it sounds like i mean income protection insurance for a self-employed person feels like a no-brainer like a slam dunk research though suggests it's not the way it pans out right now is it i know i mean the exit are friendly they, they're a, a specialist in income protection and um, they had a survey they or sorry they, they revealed just recently that only one in ten self-employed workers have got an income protection policy uh, only ten percent uh, and I'm not going to come off all high and mighty because I am one of the 90%. I have had uh, income protection insurance at some point really early on in my career, like I said. And to be honest, I don't necessarily think that my performance since then is maybe less vulnerable in any way. Um, so now is the time to get this done. Presumably the insurers aren't daft. I mean, they're going to see this wave coming from exactly the same research you've been talking about. Um, th does the knowledge of business picking up for insurers allow them to, to make their prices more competitive? In other words, any chance of it getting any cheaper for us as customers to buy cover? 
Late, I'd say recently the costs haven't really changed much. I guess the insurers would be thinking, right, are we going to pay out more claims, which if they do, then puts the costs up at that point. But the, the costs haven't changed just all that much. Um, the, the one thing that has changed more recently is they will ask a few more questions regarding things like have you had coronavirus symptoms, that, that sort of thing. But uh, it's like anything, they, they, they're not good at putting the costs down. If anything, the costs tend to rise. Mm. Time. Are insurers going to cover you for something like coronavirus anyway? I mean, is there anything yeah, like that? Tend to find like existing policies would tend to, to cover. Like if someone's off long term because of that, they you, you'll find some policies now may have exclusions, and that's why it's good to check all of that sort of thing. I know one thing that's not covered usually is, is somebody self isolating. That would be something that, that the insurance companies generally won't tend to pay on. But um, yeah, before you take out a policy, it's good to check any exclusions that's that's on it as well. And a lot of these things will probably have uh, a medical built into it that you, you maybe get some sort of assessment beforehand, and then they'll say afterwards, right, well. Uh, we've looked at your family history and therefore we're not going to pay out on these elements and those will be the exclusions. Yeah, that's it. They they might, um, generally when someone applies for income protection, you'll go through some medical questions. Um, Occasionally, depending on the answers to those, they may write to your GP looking for for some more information. But the good thing with that type of policy is that if there is any exclusions, it's specified right at the start. And years ago, you used to get like, so accident sickness policies and they tended to be more short-term policies um, and they've they've still got their place you can still get them as well but what you tend to find is they'll not ex- include pre-existing medical conditions whereas income protection policies may include that but you might find what, what the, the insurers will either do is they'll either add a premium on so you're paying more for it or they'll make exclusions so um, that, that's all the things that that financial advisor would go through with someone when they're they're taking out a policy Okay, now each week, uh, so far as we've covered uh, redundancy, financial planning uh, for young growing families and mortgages, Phil's given us uh, a look back over his own life story and how it's been affected by the subjects we've been discussing. wonder if you've got anything for us this week, Phil, where the benefits of income protection insurance have come into play in your own background. I've, it's... Policies that I've had in the past. Um, at the minute, I don't have any income protection just now. I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm in a position, if I'm off sick, my business would still be going and still be generating me an income if I'm off. So I'm very fortunate that for me, it's a real low priority just now. And I, I remember when I was young, I, I had income protection. I, I remember the first mortgage I took out, the advisor that I dealt with recommended life cover critical illness cover, income protection, and jeepers. Back then, I think I was paying like £100 a month. And and I was only on a wage of maybe about... 12 grand a year. So I wasn't, in fact, it might have even been less. In fact, it was less. I remember when I worked at the Skipton Building Society, I was on nine and a half thousand pounds a year. So a hundred pound a month was a lot to yeah. be paying out. I, now I, I've got protection policies that cost me more than that just for one policy now. But I, I remember at the time I, I ended up, I didn't have that policies for very long and I canceled them because I couldn't really afford it. And, and one thing I would say is that some cover is better than nothing. So I, I've had income protection policies myself in the past and just with my own experiences I've, I've had it like when I was younger I know what it's like to have a policy then the, the one thing I would say is that the main benefit it gives you is a peace of mind that you think if anything's happening to me 
I, I've still got money coming in. That, that's the, the sort of major benefit. So if someone says, well, why would I want to take out a policy? What's the benefits for me? It's like, well, it gives you the peace of mind that you don't have to worry. Mm-hmm. What happens if, if anything goes wrong? Absolutely. Uh, and Phil, we all to this bit as well. You, you find inspiration, I know, through um, various people that you admire, and you are the fan of an inspirational quote or two. Have you got one that kind of fits for our, our subject matter today? A word or two of wisdom to take away from a podcast focused on income protection insurance. Yeah, I've kind of, I've actually gone for a quote from myself today. Um, okay. Try to get one, try to get a quote for on that. <laughs> so this, this was a quote from uh, myself, and it's the majority of self-employed people, including, including contractors and freelancers, get absolutely no sick pay yet under 10% had income protection insurance. So that's kind of like my quote of the week this week, but that's just one from my, myself. So as I'll need to try and think of a better quote for, for next week. <laughs> um, so to summarise in this episode, Phil, income protection insurance, what are, the, what are the takeaway points? Is it a bit like eating your greens? We all know that we should and it's for our own good, but still not enough of us are doing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, like, just what I said a few moments ago, some, some cover is better than nothing. So at least if you've got some kind of cover there. I mean, you don't have to insure everything, even if you think, right, I'll just cover half or so enough, even enough to pay off. Like if you've got a mortgage and some essential bills, I guess that's the other thing as well. It's maybe saying, right, what's my outgoings that I've got to pay? Yeah. What are we with paying less? And even maybe saying, right, let's look at just covering my mortgage, for example, that, that that's it. Keep a roof over your head if, if anything goes wrong. And even looking at short-term income protection, because we, we tend to find a lot more people will have critical illness cover than income protection. And the critical illness cover tends to pay out more if you've had heart attack, cancer, stroke, something more serious. And so even having some sort of short-term income protection, and then you're kind of hoping that if you did have something more serious, the critical illness insurance might have paid out in, in that situation. But I, I definitely say the one key takeaway is that having some cover is better than, than nothing. Uh, I mentioned last week, um, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. Uh, if you want to email a question to us, please feel free. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you wish. Uh, let's get on to this week. Contact details for you if you want to uh, get in touch coming up. Chosen a couple to focus on here. Um, one to do with mortgages, Phil, and the other, strangely enough, on income protection insurance. Let's deal with that one first, simply because it's the topic that we're covering today. It's from Ian McLennan and Wessel, who says, Phil, I've downloaded all your episodes. I have a feeling I'm a way to be made redundant by the company I work for. Pretty sure I've got what I'm going to do in the event of that happening taken care of. Um, but I wonder if there's any point in me taking out income protection insurance at this point. Um, he doesn't go into detail about any any reason why he might do that, but that's his, his question as it stands. Yeah, you used to be able, like on, on some income protection policies, you used to be able to sort of tag on unemployment insurance, but at the minute that's very hard to, to get just now. But for, for actual income protection, so that's where you're covering like accidents, sickness, being off like long-term ill, you you can still apply for it. One good thing is that if you were made redundant, at that point you can sort of go to the insurer. Some will let you just almost pause the policy or we could just cancel it and reapply again at, at another stage. So um, that, that is something that you can still look at, at applying for. 
so for some it is possible to put say for instance if you went through a period of being unemployed you can sort of press pause there where you've stopped working and then start up again I say yeah some some insurance companies will have the, the option to do that um, but if you had to you could just stop it altogether and then reapply but again you really want to keep reapplying for, for things all the time but um, it is something that, that can be done uh, and question two uh, from someone who'd prefer to remain nameless so let's say Peter Reid for Peter Reid um, Peter says and this one is quite complex I think he, he's looking to move homes knows that the mortgage and housing markets are churning away like nobody's business right now he does have a property to sell and wonders will he A have to reduce his prices that are downturn or a property crash expected B Will he be able to get a mortgage product that suits his needs if he can't lay down a substantial deposit on the other side? Um, and see, in terms of all of it, should he just stick or twist right now? Let me summarize that one, Phil. Yeah. Uh, he's got a house to sell. He wants to move. Yeah. He's worried he's not going to get the price and the sale that he's after, and therefore he's not going to have a big amount to put down as a deposit when yeah. it comes to buying. Given everything that's going on, should he go for it now or hold off? I guess... Only each individual can answer that themselves. But from an advisor point of view, like at the minute, house prices, some are going for a bit less. Um, but there's no question about that. The, the mortgages are definitely harder to obtain just now. There's, there is a couple of lenders doing 90% mortgages. So if you've got a 10% deposit, there is a couple of options there at the minute. But things are changing quite rapidly from, from time to time. Um, what I would say is that the bigger deposit someone has to put down, the more options they're going to have and the better deals they, they'll get. So if, I mean, an advisor would be able to work out the exact figures and say, look, if you sell for this amount, it's going to cost you or you would need to put down this amount of deposit and then that would mean your monthly payments would be X, Y or Z. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say it, it may still be possible. It's good to sit down and just run the exact figures and, and say, right, how much could you afford to sell for? What's that going to be the knock-on impact sort of further down the, the line as well? But um, I'd definitely say good to, to sit down with a mortgage advisor and, and kind of just work out all the figures. And they'll be, maybe, yeah, maybe then you'll, you'll get a sort of a cushion figure from, you know, X to Y, and you can sell anywhere within that bracket. Yeah. You, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I would just say as well, before you get in touch with a question, there is a chance that we may have covered it in depth in a previous episode. There's a real vault of knowledge uh, to be explored in those. None of it's mine, obviously. Uh, full details for where you can find those in just a second. I'm John Ellis. Thanks for joining us today for Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing, or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for Finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online and on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn as well. Or you can email Phil a question that you can answer on a future show like we've just done there. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send them your question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us and please subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Then you'll get us every week with the info that you want when you need it. You get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. 